This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. What are the best ways to drive revenue in the new digital economy? What's the right positioning for us to maximize the efficiency of our messaging while optimizing our headcount and our net income? To answer those questions, Chris Madden. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jill, so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad we started with a simple question. (laughs) You know what? Uh, It's a funny thing. People always think, you know, hard questions are the ones that come from Harvard. They're not. (laughs) (laughs) They tend to be the easy questions, you know, that are really the hardest ones to answer. So so tell us first, what... uh, when you talk about increasing revenue, there are lots of ways to increase revenue. You're talking about hiring more salespeople. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, in general, Matchstone's clients are B2C, national and scale businesses, uh, middle market, $10 million to up to a billion dollars. And so what we're talking about is increasing traffic to our clients' websites in a way that leads to transactions. So we don't want to just bring people to your website that you know, aren't going to do anything. We want to bring people to your website in ways that drive a positive ROI. Uh, and with the changes that are going on in the macro right now, our team is a super efficient extension of our clients' marketing team. So um, unfortunately, there's a lot of turnover. A lot of companies that you know we work with are just generally in the marketplace. And so we become a very flexible extension that can jump in whether during a pandemic or or labor turnover. So you're you're an agency and you supply labor to companies, not 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 uh, you know like rental labor, but you supply uh, solutions for them to improve their yeah. advertising and so forth. Yeah, yeah, we supply value is what we supply. So return on investment. So we're an advertising agency that has creative and technical capabilities in house, and our clients come to us and say. Uh, please run our Google, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn ads. And what we're trying to do is sell tickets to these basketball games or um, bring in leads for private events at our restaurant group because, uh, you know, the front of our house is doing great and we have tons of business, but we've got this really large room with these really high dollar events that we want to sell. And we can't figure out why we can't get more of those sorts of people in the door. You know, it seems to me that, um, do companies actually come and, and be that specific and they say, you know, handle our, our social media activity? Because it seems to me like uh, like we're having trouble selling tickets. Mm-hmm. Do they really care how you sell the tickets or do they want you to handle that one part and then somebody else is handling some other part? Good question. They uh, generally come to us, if it is a case where they're coming to us, they come to us because they know that there are ways to run digital ads to sell more tickets and they're not doing them for whatever reason. Either um, they can't do it with just a single person in-house on their team and they realize that. Uh, you need different skill sets, both technical, creative, and other to do this work well. Uh, so yes, oftentimes, like in our positioning to date has been relatively specialized in that we're a digital ad agency. So when people come to us, they usually have attempted digital ads or they're running them now, or they have an agency they're unhappy with, or so so they're they're not just saying, uh, hey, we're a professional basketball team. We want to sell more tickets. What should we do? We, we don't have any ideas. I mean, these are always professional marketing teams that they're coming to us with data already and saying, our return has been 3.5, but we know that other team gets it at a five and we're having this technical issue where you know, we can't connect our data to the ads properly. Can you help yeah. us? So you're, you're doing pretty sophisticated people who really kind of know where the holes are. 
Yeah, well, when there's a when there's a when, if you're a B two C company with a hundred million dollars in revenue, you're going to have a you know at least a five or ten more person marketing team, um, and some of those people are going to be dedicated to the digital realm. They just should be. But again, we're here to help those established brands shift to digital. It's not like there's always, if there was a perfect team already in-house, they wouldn't need us. So um, they are they are navigating maybe a, an established business that isn't digitally native and they're navigating this marketing budget you know, pie chart that they have every year that they're sending a few more ticks each year towards digital and every, you know, just look back at the past few years to think of reasons why they might need more digital expertise. Pandemic happens. Everyone's like, what do we do? It's all digital now. Um, when, uh, there's all sorts of things that happen in the world, uh, the Facebook and Apple fights, like all these things create moments that, uh, change things very, these, these platforms are very dynamic and have changed very frequently. So for better or worse, if you want to get the best, return on your investment, it, it requires that level of expertise now. You know, it, make, it makes a lot of sense that uh, rather than hiring, uh, you know, a team of people internally uh, in an environment that's very turbulent, like what you're describing, because the algorithms are changing all the time, that really to have specialized people from the outside who all they do is study the algorithms and, and understand this is probably not a bad idea. How often do you uh, see these larger, more sophisticated companies making what what you would refer to as a fundamental kind of mistake. And, and I ask that question because some of the listeners are saying, well, gee, we're not quite as sophisticated. Uh, it would probably give them a great amount of solace to know that some of your people are doing some basic mistakes too. You know, I mean, what are, what are you seeing? Yeah, there's, 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 there are mistakes. And when we see mistakes as an agency, that's why they hire us. We try to go in and correct them. But there are uh, there's a laundry list. Um, sometimes we run into businesses that are just not uh, data driven enough, where they'll look at the numbers, but they don't totally have faith in them. So then they make like a soft decision that isn't fully rooted in the data. Whereas we will be the types to say like, well, like what exactly is this piece of data telling us? And if it's not good enough, well, then how can we change the setup so that we get better data. So that that is very common, as, as simple as like, uh, we may be grinding to drive leads for, you know, wedding, for a wedding venue, for example, at the back of a nice restaurant. And um, it, it, we may have to work very hard and spend quite a bit of money to drive, say like five leads in a week. And we're, we want to see those leads come through as sales. Oh, we booked two weddings, you know? And so when we talk to our clients every week, we want to hear that kind of feedback. There are businesses that just, we, we end up realizing sadly, that just like haven't been following up on the leads. So we're like <laughs> we're working really hard to drive these leads. And we like feel it very intensely when there isn't a good ROI. And why isn't, why isn't it coming out on the other end? Well, like there is something in the middle and between sometimes it's a CRM issue Oftentimes it's just a human issue. Like we're all humans, things happen. So I think that sort of just very basic miss or ball dropping uh, is common. And it's not to make judgments about it. It just happens. And sometimes people paying very close attention with a high care factor goes a long way. Well, you know, on that on that concept of dropping the ball, how often have you been to a, a trade show where you give somebody your business card, the guy says, I'll call you next week. And you never hear from them again. And these companies are spending tens of thousands, if not even hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to be at these shows. And they just let some large percent. I mean, I, half the people I know never hear back from people like me to trade shows. It's almost like a rare thing that uh, that people follow up. So uh, I, I agree. Be- 
on, on that note, following up is so important. And it's just like you said, the hard things in life are the very simple. It's, it's the bar of like, say, if you want to start a digital agency to do something like what we do, if you set a bar to be like, you're going to be the top 10% of following up quickly, doing what you say you're going to do. And, uh, you know, communicating clearly, like you're going to do, it's, it's so unbelievable how far that gets you. You know, it's really, it's, it's kind of unfortunate, but you don't have to be that great to be one of the best. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be consistent right? though. You got to do it yeah. over a long period of time. Yeah. Well, you know what? And there are some people that are just like machines. They just, they're just really good at that. And that's what they do. Have you ever been involved in any kind of crowdfunding? Yes, we have. We've been involved in a couple of different crowdfunding campaigns over the years. Like like Kickstarters or or what kind of A couple of, of Kickstarters. In our earliest days, we were part of a Kickstarter. And then more recently, there was another one we did work with. Yes. Yeah. You know, the reason I ask is um, a lot of people think that you just put the hook in the water and a bunch of fish are going to swim and take a bite out of your bait, you know, but but that and then they're disappointed. Of course, they never fund their campaigns. So I, I kind of, you know, was, was wondering... Because I'm I'm a big fan of Kickstarter. I, I being from the venture capital business, I love seeing all the ideas people come up with. I buy a whole bunch of these things. Yeah, some are better than others, but I just I just I'm, I'm almost addicted to it. I just I just love buying these things. I, just the coolest things come out of it. And uh, what what works like like how do you get a one of these campaigns to really take off and and become something? I hate to give the simple answer because we're talking about fundamentals being the hard thing. But what really works is just having a great product that the market wants. And that's, that's so difficult, you know? So our marketing agency got a lot more successful, you know, through a lot of hard work over time where my co-founder and I were just showing up every day and doing imperfect work and just doing the best we could over and over again to the point we started to get good clients where their brand is amazing. So selling, uh, selling a product or service of an established brand that people know, trust and want made our marketing business or made our marketing programs and campaigns much more effective. It's an obvious point, but going back to your question of how do you make an effective Kickstarter? It's like have an awesome product. And like, it's really hard to have an awesome product in a Kickstarter. But so, so those, those Kickstarters that tend to do well are, are those that uh, maybe they already have a, some relationship or specific knowledge of the market that they're going into or, or like, you know, Hey, I'm a, Yeah. You know, if, if somebody comes to you with a great brand or a great product already, you know, can't they say, well, what do we need you for? We're, we're already pretty great, you know, because now your job is easy. I mean, in a certain way, you know, as a customer of somebody like you, I would be thinking, you know, I need you to create want for me. That's what I need you to yeah. create is the want. So tell the product in a way that makes people want it. I mean, yeah. isn't that the job of the agency? I mean, there, I, there's, there I guess is, there's many different jobs, but yeah, you know, that's and all there's many, yeah, and there's many different agencies that do lots of different things. For instance, for instance, we are not a brand agency, so we're not going to say to you, "Let's go rebrand your entire business." What we do do, because we're an advertising agency, is we can take your brand messaging that you, your your value propositions that you've already worked out, and we can run tests to say this one really matters to people or this one didn't do as well because we can create a whole bunch of ads under each of those, whether let's say it's convenience or price, you know, you're trying to do a little bit of both and which one really matters depending on the sort of business you have. So we can help, we can really help drive strategic insights from the market in that way. But like, 
if, hey, I've already got a good product, I've already got a good business, like what do I need advertising for? It's like, well, at that point, you want to reach as many people as you possibly can. So if you're not spending, so if you have a good enough product where you can run $1 of advertising and, and get $4 of revenue, and that's profitable for you based on what your other costs are there, then most of our clients or most businesses, assuming they have access to the capital, want to say like, how much can we spend? Yeah, we want to spend as much as we can at this efficiency and keep it there. So like that is work that even though your your brand is in a great position to be successful because you have a strong product and a strong business, you still need help reaching as many people as possible and to like hit that efficiency and volume uh, sweet spot. Tell, tell us a little bit about some metrics. Like what are some rules of thumb, uh, you know, like ROI on advertising campaign? Yeah. Should it be four to one? Should it be 10 to one? You know, what, what, just as a rule of thumb, what are some of the metrics that you think about? When we start with a client, we generally are looking to baseline a three to one right away. Uh, if it's usually for our clients, if it's less than three to one, we're going to be struggling to see them making money on a unit just economic clear, basis. Just to be clear, it's uh, three times the amount you spend on the campaign, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, so, so if we spend $1,000... Generally, we'll say, "Oh, we saw that it drove three thousand dollars in revenue a few days later." Um, and, and so, for different businesses, that works differently. Of course, for a pure digital business where their you know, marginal cost of product trends to zero, uh, some uh, businesses want a much lower return because they want so much more volume. Uh, we've worked with New Balance shoes over the years, and they have really hard costs in their shoes, and you can't spend you know, 85% of the revenue on marketing. So it really depends on the business and what their max allowable or what their uh, required return is. But yeah, three, three dollars or a three to one, we call it a three return, three row as return on ad spend means a thousand dollars in spend got you a thousand dollars or $3,000 in revenue. So that's a good place to start. And then if it's got hard costs, it would be much higher 10 to one, you know, something yep. so that you could have, uh, you know, whatever, cover your costs. Yeah. Uh, okay. Interesting. And Interesting. and we'll work. So like we want to get the get to that three to one as soon as we can. And of course, in the very first or second call we have with a would be client, we're asking them that is three to one going to work or what is the number you need to hit? Oftentimes they don't know. <laughs> you know, which is uh, goes back to your earlier question of like what are some basics that people miss? Like they don't even know what they're trying to hit, and sometimes they don't know the unit economics well enough to know. And it's not like they're not smart and haven't thought of it. It's like sometimes they work in an organization where that information isn't available or isn't their like bosses true north. So like they just don't think or speak in those terms. So uh, that goes in the bucket of like fundamental things that sometimes we just bring to the table or we kind of force those discussions because we have to know those things in order to know if, our, if what we're doing is working. Do you ever find, you were talking earlier, do you, do you ever find that, uh, you know, you were talking about some of these companies being, data-driven, and then they go with a hunch. Mm -hmm. But what about the opposite? Do you find that some companies are so absolutely focused on their numbers that they lose sight of the big picture? Yes, for sure. Uh, sometimes we think of that as like the local maximum problem, where if you're on, uh, say you're climbing a small mountain and you can't see any of the mountains next to you, and you're just like focused on getting up to the top and then you get up there and you realize, oh, you're just at a hill and like you really should have gone down that hill and gone somewhere else to get a much better view and to really get done what you need to get done. So there are times where I think that sometimes uh, 
we've seen businesses and people in the businesses get like so focused on the detail and the nuance and like the, just the mechanics of the execution that they lose really the fact that we like strategically we're, we've lost track and like, it's our job to bring our clients back at those moments. And, you know, that's a, that can be a tricky thing for us because it's also our job to do what our clients tell us to do and ask us to do, you know? So Sometimes we're like, we're going to do this, but this is not what we would do, or we're going to do this, but we can we test it against this other approach that we recommend and see which one does better. Um, yeah. So those things come up pretty frequently. You know, I mean, I would imagine that uh, even though these are pretty large and sophisticated clients that uh, they they are looking for your opinion. And if they, if you see that they're off the track, I imagine they they don't always want the feedback, but they they need the feedback. Yes. And it's always about people. You, you know, one of our core values at Matchstone so is putting yourself in other people's shoes. And always remember if sometimes a client is saying something or re- requiring a certain approach that we're, we keep lightly pushing back and saying, we don't think that's the right way. And they keep saying, well, we have to do it this way. When we dig deeper there, and when we say then like schedule a separate meeting to, to meet in person or something where we're like, something's going on here and we're not understanding it clearly enough, there is always a reason or not always, but almost always, there's always a reason that we just didn't see because we're not inside their organization. So there's times where we sense that, that there's this disconnect. And rather than saying like, God, that's frustrating or why, why won't they just listen to us? You have to like go deeper and think about the fact that someone in their job for some reason is probably requesting this. And it's our job to understand that landscape so we can both give them what they have to have uh, internally, but also um, shine a light on areas of strategic opportunity. Yeah. You know, uh, I I appreciate that you brought up the topic of core values. I think this is, uh, you know, one of the, one of the trends I think that's going to be very substantial for 2023 and we are getting ready to produce our report is that uh, companies that are values driven are the kinds of companies that others like. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you share either your own core values or some of the core values from companies that you've seen uh, yes. that, that are really good. And, and let me just preface this by saying, I think that uh, many, many of the companies that I've seen out there, because I am involved with a lot of different companies, uh, are rather disingenuous. It's easy to say the words. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to make it part of your, really your core, your culture, yeah. um, you know, and live by those values. So what are some really good ones that you've seen that that people really adopt? Our core values are are super clear. And some of this, we could have a separate conversation about why we run our business this way, but we're part of Entrepreneur's Organization. We run EOS, Entrepreneur's Operating System, through the book Traction. And so establishing your core values is just like fundamental in that framework. And so our core values, like I mentioned, putting yourself in other shoes, accountability, lifelong learning, and strategic growth. And I could talk about each of those. Uh, rather than doing that, I'll talk a little bit about how we put them into practice. Because like you said, just saying what they are is one thing, but like having them be alive is something else. And so, uh, for example, we have a daily huddle four days a week, Monday through Thursday at the exact same time every day. It's like a four-minute meeting for our small 10-person team. And on Thursdays, the question or the prompt is name someone on the team or a client, someone in the business, person who uh, demonstrated one of our core values. And so everybody calls out someone else generally. I, I saw Alex help with that client and she was putting herself in other people's shoes through that. So 
I guess our teammates are always thinking about that and looking for that. I would say when we have hard decisions to make, we always go to our core values and say like, what is this decision about? Is there something in our core values that is being impacted here? And that guides us. So a lot more I could say on that, but I'll pause and, and let and let you uh, follow yeah. up with what you think is uh, interesting there. I mean, I mean, this is a really important discussion. And I think that uh, it doesn't get enough airtime, this topic. Mm-hmm. It really uh, is a really important topic. Uh, companies that live this way, uh, and, and there are lots of companies, by the way, that that people just really, really don't like because they don't like their core values. But at least those right. companies are consistent and they yes. adhere to their core values. I mean, there's yes. uh, Chick Fil A and Hobby Lobby. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people that don't like them for you know for the reasons of their values, but at least they're sincere about their values. You got to be clear about you know, who not, you not, are, so you attract yeah. the right teammates, attract the right clients, and and if you're not turning anybody off, then your core values probably aren't specific enough because like in hiring being one of the biggest reasons or biggest ways in which we use them, it's like, that is our filter. There's a whole interview we do that is just about these core values where we pull out there, these questions around each core value and we score it zero, one, and two, and we add it up and we have everybody who we've interviewed over the last eight years in a chart. So like, I know what a good score is on these things. Um, but you're right. If if, and so it reminds me too of our decision where during the pandemic, we used to have an office in Chicago and we went fully distributed during the pandemic. And there were people on our team at the time that I think wanted an office again, which was understandable for lots of different reasons, but that was just like, wasn't going to be what we were going to do anymore. And so those people left as we now interview and hire people, we tell them exactly how our business works. We don't have an office four times a year, we get together in these really cool trips where we work and hang out and get to get to know each other. And it serves as a filter in the same way that the core values do, and it should. And so now our team starts to look like people who want to work at that kind of a business. Because if you're not telling people what to expect, whether it's a detail of how you work office or not, or what the core values are, and then you get to a point where you have someone who like, seems like a good person. And then six months in, you're like, this is just not a fit. Like that is your fault as the business owner or as the manager who's making those hires. Yeah. You know, to me, to me, this is a really important uh, discussion. In fact, it, it makes me even think that uh, thousands of years ago, Sun Tzu, you know, the, the warrior mm-hmm. said that, uh, you know, the, 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 the side that knows itself best is going to win. Mm-hmm. And when you, what you're talking about is that you really know a lot about who you are who you're looking for, what kind of clients are likely to be your people, what, what teammates are likely to be your people. Um, curious though, uh, you're a little company, relatively little, yes, uh, and you work with bigger companies. Do you think that your little company has had influence on bigger companies about shaping their values or about the importance of values? You, you know, can you say that the, uh, the the little guy has influenced the big one? I. I, you know, I can't say, I can't say how specifically I'm trying to think of examples of clients that I I would say that there's definitely examples of clients where we have brought like a level of like the strategic growth, maybe uh, angle. I would say that there's people on our clients teams that have grown because of their work with us. Uh, So that is cool. Uh, In our sales, you know, proposal that we put in front of anybody who's become a client like that our core values are the last page. Like we have the price and then it's the, and then it's the core values. And so I think just the fact that we have core values to your previous point of like no one talking about this. I think the fact that we have core values has uh, probably resonated with people that I don't even know, but I'm like really glad that it's in there because I believe that 
the right kind of person who sees that and thinks that that's important will be a better fit for us than someone who doesn't. So I think in ways like that, we have influence. Um, you know, I, we work with NBA and NHL teams, and I know that um, because we've been in meetings with the NBA, we've turned uh, teams or we, we can turn a team that's like a technological laggard relative to the other 29 teams into a like top performer very quickly. And so we have influence in that kind of way, especially because NBA teams, some of them have a lot of the cultural history and employees who've been around for a long time and for good reason. Uh, so, but, but it can make change and transition a little cha- uh, challenging. So I think we've been influential in that way. And I hope that like, I hope that just like the people that we are because of the core values that we have has been part of the reason why companies stick with us and people stick with us. And if someone leaves one of our clients and goes somewhere else, then they hire us because they know what to expect from us because of our core values. And I hope that is slightly influential. I can't say that we've had huge influence on big companies and like turn those giant ships in any direction, but certainly some of the people we work with, I I hope that there's been, um, certainly we learn a lot from our clients and and have had been influenced by them. So I would guess that, that there's some that we've influenced as well. I'll bet you've had more influence than you think. Just just Maybe. talking to you, my sense is that you probably have had more <laughs> than you think. You know, so so what uh, going forward in time? You know, as as the the world of social media advertising marketing as it gets more complex, more more data driven. What are some of the trends you see coming coming on the horizon? Great question. There are lots of trends that continue to upset the landscape. I mean. First, the massive centralization between uh, technologically between Facebook, Google, and Apple. Of course, there are others like Amazon, but as, as far as it relates to like our ad work, the fight between Apple and uh, Facebook in particular has been difficult for our business. It's been difficult for our clients' businesses. The businesses that have really been hurt the most are the and, and just just to, just to recap that that's where Apple changed its algorithm so that Facebook couldn't get all the data that they used to get off the phone. Yes. They called it app tracking transparency, ATT. Basically anybody who has an iPhone for the past say year and a half has gotten uh, when they first turn on their iPhone, they get the option to opt in or out of app tracking transparency and everybody opts out because of the way that it's written. And ultimately what happens is, uh, ads get worse. And so you're still going to see ads. They just don't make as much sense to you as they would have. We can't track it as clearly. Totally respect privacy and how important that is. And there are lots of answers to that question, but that's centralization. And thanks for clarifying. Like, yes, that is the fight that I'm talking about between Apple and Facebook. But those centralizing forces, I think, are over time going to change. Uh, I think that, and our agency is very strategic and we are forward thinking. I know you're always thinking about the future. So we are doing things like more than dipping our toes into Web3 and to NFTs. So I think staying ahead of trends is key, but trends are more about, I think, specializing the importance of like the individual customization, personalization, and NFTs and Web3 fit into all of that. Um, But I think that there's still a lot of space for the Googles and Facebooks, of course, to... um, really drive experiences for businesses and individuals that can still fulfill those 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 values pieces. I, I don't believe that, you know, running ads, obviously, I don't believe that running ads on Google or Facebook means that you're just giving them your money and, you know, you can send the transaction off on your own 
you know, business and website, and there's the, all the ROI that you need. So I think that is this balance of playing with these big players, but there's more creators and there's more entrepreneurs that are, you know, potentially smaller and smaller over time that are, that are counterbalancing that big centralizing effect. And so for us being a super specialized agency, like you're saying at the beginning of this discussion, that definitely plays into that. It's really hard to do, um, the work we do as like a single person at a company. Um, and it definitely, and it's also a, uh, in the same kind of decentralized theme, it is a, um, not a winner take all sort of business. At least my business, uh, Mashnote is not, it's a expand the pie and there's can be lots of winners sort of business. Let's talk for a minute about, um, web three NFTs. Uh, the, you know, we've talked on this show before about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, which right now are kind of a way of serializing artwork to make sure you have an original copy. Uh, you know, if that's what you buy, then that's what you get. Right. Uh, but how can how can middle-sized companies start to use NFTs? Uh, you know, because they're looking at, you know, some of these things on Instagram that sell for millions of dollars. And they're mm-hmm. going, this isn't relevant to us. How do we make right. an NFT relevant to a regular business? I mean, listen, an MBA team, I could, I could see it clearly, but let's say you manufacture widgets or let's say you you sell widgets to consumers. I mean, how do you make an NFT uh, interesting or, or relevant to your situation? Uh, great question. And of course, it depends on the sort of business. Art is easy. And like you're saying, really big brands are easy. But I think big brands like the NBA are easy because, because there's a built-in community there. Um, so any business that wants to bring its uh, that wants to bring its customers closer and wants to give them give customers another way to engage in a, like a very highly engaged way with your brand, uh, NFTs can can help with that. Um, so I think that for things like conferences, for things like events, for things like restaurants. Uh, there's a lot of room for one-off NFTs to give people almost a receipt of their um, of their engagement with you, of being at this event, of seeing you speak. Uh, we have a e-commerce client called LookHuman.com, and they basically give free NFTs as receipts. So your receipt is now an NFT. They've been in business for nine years. We have a nice business that is way way predates NFTs, and they decided to. Uh, go off onto the Polygon network because it's free. Every time you buy a t-shirt from them, you get an NFT. And these are like high design t-shirts. There's a lot of memes. There's a lot of like funny, jokey sort of t-shirts on their website. And so because they have 70,000 SKUs and all these designs, some of these designs are cool and unique. So that business has a natural kind of design or art feel to it. But the point is, it's just a free receipt. You can do nothing with it and never use it, or you can go on to OpenSea and decide to trade it. Like they're not trading for much, but that's not the point. You can take a bunch of these things and this company is going to give you a different experience, whether it's a discount, free things. So I think there are reasons why they are improved versions of rewards programs to be like a pretty simple answer to your question. Uh, It's like rewards programs with more community and with more longevity. Yeah. We're going to have to, um, Kind of dig a little deeper on that topic because that's a uh, it's a big one. That's an interesting topic. I, I think many companies would like to put their toe in the water. They don't know where to start uh, right now. The water is either way too hot or way too cold, and they just don't know what to do. Yeah, so, and that is something that we are uh, doing at Matchstone is helping companies with those exact questions. Yeah. Well, listen, Chris. Uh, the uh, the promise of the show is to deliver the inside track, which is the best, smartest, or fastest way to get something done. 
And, and you've certainly delivered on the promise of, of telling us really kind of the inside track about how this whole, uh, you know, digital world's working and the advertising components and, and a lot of the issues that are really kind of coming up and fascinating that the fundamentals are broken at even some of the biggest companies. So, and whenever somebody uh, delivers on the promise of the show, we call those people advantage players and that makes you an advantage player. And we appreciate your contribution to our show and uh, hope that you'll stay a friend of our show. Uh, thanks, Joel. I'm honored. I, I would definitely love to stay friends of the show. And listen, we'll uh, we'll put all your contact information in the show notes so that anybody who wants to get a hold of you uh, will have an easy time to find out where you are. So thanks very much. And we'll uh, look forward to uh, staying in touch. Thanks again. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.